Let's pray. Lord God, help us to clear our hearts and minds of any outside thoughts and distractions at this moment. Open us to hear your words in a powerful way this morning. Amen. Scripture for this morning is Psalm 40. Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I, incli- I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim them and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written on my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. We are starting a series on Galatians next week. Um, and before that, I want to utilize the Psalms, as is my habit, to encourage you with the changing of the seasons. Uh, there are seasons in life, and for some they are more dramatic uh, than others. If you have school-age kids, um, September is a, is a more chaotic time than those who do not. Um, but... Life offers us seasons, and they're natural. A pastor pointed this out to me last week, that uh, the, the categories that I think are the most useful for us with the Psalms are disorientation, orientation, and reorientation. 
and I know I just said orientation a lot of times in our own, it's because it's important. It's important for us to know how to navigate the with God life in all of the seasons, the dark ones. Love, that David says, and I cannot see. He's overwhelmed by what's happening in his life. Um, it is important to learn to respond to God in the great congregation in all of the seasons that come to us. Some because others are assailing us. Some because of our own sin. David mentions iniquity. Some are simply circumstantial. Disorientation does not mean you're doing life wrong, though parts of our culture would certainly imply that or state it outright. Oh, you're not having a great season. You need to find the right diversion so you can just put it out of your mind and move forward. And what the Psalms lead us to do is to talk with God and one another about that so that we can heal from what's happened to us and understand it in some measure, be present, and then plan and prepare for our future. Psalm 40 is a psalm of disorientation, but it's one that reflects on a time that God delivered David. So it starts with this beautiful reflection on something that happened in the past. Many, many, many of the psalms are about the past and the present and the future because we need to be contending with all of them to receive the joy that Jesus has purchased for us. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David is writing about something in the past in order to then orient the people in the congregation who are singing this and himself with a present moment of disorientation and his full expectation that God will deliver him like he did in the past. It's a move of trust. We trust God to take us from the pits of destruction in our life, out of the bogs, and put us into a secure place. And then we sing new songs. And the psalmist here doesn't necessarily mean a song that he wasn't familiar with or that the congregation wasn't familiar with. But you know when you're released from a miry bog season and the song comes on or the prayer that you're familiar with feels new, it feels re-enlivened, that's what the psalmist is talking about. A new song in my life doesn't mean new songs are bad. Let's just rehash all the worship wars. No, let's not get into all that. But what the psalmist is getting at is that new songs with new words or old songs that we know well are part of responding to God when he takes us out of that season of disorientation into a season of new orientation. He writes, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie, which is a poetic way of, of getting into a large biblical idea about our temptation to seek other ways to heal or be settled in our spirit or ignore painful circumstances. I got invited to a Halloween party recently by someone in Simsbury who I would deem as cool. 
And for a minute, I was like, whoa, it happened. That's me going after the proud. That's me just for a second thinking, oh man, if I know cool people in Simsbury and they want me to go to their party, like something is good is happening here. And it's not about, I mean, go to Halloween parties. Like that's not the point. You know what I'm getting at. I'm buying into some lie about what it would do to my heart and mind if cool people like me. But blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And the lies are all around us, from little things to medium things to big things that are good things in the world that the parts of the world would try and convince us will actually give peace to our soul if I could just get tickets to Taylor Swift. (laughs) And she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Somebody suggested to me recently that she might run for president, and I'm like, she'd probably win. (laughs) But there's an edge to it sometimes, right? If I just got to have this experience, if I just got to have this thing, then I would actually be okay. And what the Bible and the gospel in all sorts of different ways remind us is only God will take us out of the miry bog. I love that. The more I say it, the more it seems sort of meaningless. You know, those words that you don't say very often and then you say them a lot, and you're like, what does that mean? When we were moving here from St. Louis, I remember realizing that I did not know how boggy Connecticut is. It's very boggy. There's a bog right there. There. (laughs) When you're talking to God, after he's released you from a rough season, do you pause in order to give good language to it? It's worth it. Poets teach us that. When you're telling a friend in the great congregation, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but when you're telling a friend about what's been going on in your life, especially when you've been released from a season of disorientation into a season of new orientation, do you pause and think, how do I explain this well? It's worth it. We've been doing it this morning. We've been singing some new songs and some old songs. Both help us embrace the new life that we receive in Christ. Both of those kinds of songs help us to remember his promises if we're in a season of disorientation, which many of you, I'm sure, are. Sheila was proclaiming the steadfast love of God that she gets to experience when she serves with Kairos. And we get to encourage her in that. We trust the Lord together. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. It is worth it and good for us to show up and learn to tell the story of God in our lives to one another. And it's challenging because we, some of us are stuck in whole cliches. Some of us hate those, so then they get stuck. And how do I explain the goodness of the Lord in this season of my life? But it's worth it and good.
Sometimes I feel like a lot of words become meaningless because they're either misused, they're used too frequently, or just because of our cynicism. Does amazing mean anything anymore? Much less what it's supposed to mean? I have a friend who, when he says the word weird, he just packs it with meaning. And I'm like, he means a lot by that. Whoa. Words that I overuse and it just annoys me. Parents, this is why it's the struggle. When our kids get home from school, we want to say, how is school? But if we only say, how is school? All they ever say is, right. So we want to ask more creatively. And this is us doing as a family what God is, what, what the psalmist is encouraging us to do as a spiritual family, which is to tell the story of God in our lives. Interesting, in verses 6 and 7, he says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that that's not scientifically true, as in as, as, as a statement of what does God delight in ever. That's different than the... Than the um, Old Testament sacrificial system. What's the psalmist getting at? Why is this quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7? Because of what the law says at the end, which is it's better for it to be written on our hearts. This is a prefiguring of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, and you're like, why are you giving me all these Bible verses? Because it's good in poetry to remember that religious actions in and of themselves don't merit something. If you are coming to church to check a box, there's no box and it's definitely not getting checked. But if you're coming to receive the joy that Jesus purchased for you and because you believe that it's good to do so with your spiritual family, then you receive the joy that David's talking about. God doesn't require you to show up to church, to pray, to participate, to be generous your time and with your money, but we have the opportunity to do so as a move of trust in him, as a move of thankfulness for what he's done, and then as a move of obedience. David's getting at something that Jesus talks about regularly in Matthew, which is our whole person given over in allegiance to God. This is such a key. I know I've, we talked about this all last year because studying the book of Matthew was such a gift to me. I didn't understand parts of it as well as I do now because Jesus said your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which would have been intimidating to a first century listener. But what he was getting at was being a whole person whose mind and emotions are given over to God in full obedience which is a move of trust and then thankfulness and then obedience. This is the psalmic version of that. We trust him together. As evils encompass. Now we're getting to why the psalm is written. As for you, O Lord, verse 11, you will not restrain your mercy from me. David is full of expectation that God is going to show up again just like he did in the past in, the, in whatever David's referencing from verses 1, 2, and 3. We don't know what that is. We don't need to know what it is. That's not the point of the psalm. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. 
They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. The evils are the sins of others. These are the ones who are saying, aha, aha, when they catch David in something, I'm guessing, in verse 15. These are the ones who want to snatch away his life, verse 14. These are the ones who delight in his hurt, and he's asking God to deliver him from them. And if you uh, have lots of large leather-bound books, like I do, on the Psalms, they will tell you that this is about God's justice, and that's true. But this is also a model of how we talk to God when evil is surrounding us. And if when we talk about it, somebody's like, it doesn't really sound that bad. Like, well, I'm not explaining it well, because it's taking up all the emotional space in my brain right now. Years ago, um, I was struggling with something, and I was talking to a friend about it, and he goes, you know, the problem is not figuring out what to do. You know what to do. The problem is how much emotional space it takes up. And I was like, oh, it's really well said. That's what David's getting at. It's not that he can't physically see. It's that it was so overwhelming that it seemed like he couldn't see. It seemed like his heart, which is the seat of emotion, or seat of uh, motive, it's bigger than emotion. We think, oftentimes, we think the heart is emotion. This is his whole being seemed to be failing him because of evil and his own sin. And I love that he doesn't take the time to try and figure out how much of this is them and how much of this is me. That's often how I try and get my way out of, uh, through prayer and through conversation, things that are, I'm stuck in. How much is this is them? How much of this is me? David's like, a lot of it's them and a lot of it's me. When he says, they are more than the hairs of my head, He's not being specific. Because in the moment, it was overwhelming, unsettling, disorienting. It's more important to the Psalms, or the, the Psalms teach us that it's more important to be honest with God and with neighbor because they sang this. Just like Dan and I and Bill and some others that lead would try and figure out what to sing to help us process the with God life to worship him and, and bless one another, the um, leaders of the nation of Israel would pick when to, when to sing Psalm 40. They would sing it together. And in that, they would learn that being honest before God and one another is more important than parsing out, though that can be helpful, where is all this overwhelmingness coming from? Is it from the evils that encompass me or my own sin? The psalmist says, yes. We trust together as evils encompass, and we wait on the Lord, which is not a passive thing. When we remember what Jesus has done for us, that's not simply a move of memory in our... What am I trying to say? When we remember what Jesus has done, it's not simply a move of intellect that has no bearing on our life. When we say that we're waiting on the Lord to show up, that's something that in the Holy Spirit's power fills us with strength to continue to trust Him, to continue to be thankful for what He's done, and to obey. 
I'm using that order because that's uh, the order that Paul gives, and we'll get into that all fall as we get into Galatians, and it's here in the Psalms, though poetically done. We trust together as evils encompass. And I think you know about the evils, whether they're direct in your life or you see them from a distance. There are people in the world and in your life who delight in your hurt, who say, aha, aha, when something bad happens to you. And it is good to talk with God and with one another about those things because that fills us, not immediately, but over time that fills us with the strength and joy to serve him here and where we find ourselves. You ever want to know why I skip a slide? I'll tell you afterwards. I make the slides earlier in the week and then I'm looking at them and looking at you and looking at the text and thinking, eh, I'll leave that point. I think they were picking up what I'm putting down. And if you wonder why I share things like that, it's because when I was a teenager and heard lots of people talk about God and felt like most of them were condescending, it irritated me quite a bit. (laughs) One of our cross-cultural gospel workers said, I love that having a conversation with you is just like hearing you preach. For better or worse, I think that's me. So... Sorry if I'm oversharing. You're a professional. Get back to your notes. It's fine. We trust together (laughs) as evils encompass and we wait upon the Lord. Waiting and remembering are not passive things because when we wait on the Lord, when we say, show up again, how long? That's a move of trust. And it's a move that the Holy Spirit honors by strengthening us and enlivening us to trust him with any of the command that you think of, to receive any of the fruit of the Spirit that comes to mind, to receive the beautiful attitudes Jesus described in Matthew 5. That's what happens when we wait and remember what he's done. The past and the present and the future all matter. We give them over to the Lord in prayer, asking him to tend to and heal our past asking him to help us be present today with the people in our lives and to him, asking, us, asking him to help us plan well for the future, for this fall and winter and spring. You will hear all the time that the past matters a great deal from kind of a caricature of a therapist because I've never heard a decent therapist say this, but like the only thing that matters is dealing with your past. It's kind of implied differently. Self-help gurus are like, no, it's be present, be present. That's all that matters. You don't have to deal with anything in the past. It's all fine. Just, if you can just be present with those in your life. You can probably tell by my smile what I think of self-help stuff. (laughs) Not helpful. Caricature of a financial planner might be, as long as you're saving for the future, like everything will be okay. Friends, all three matter. And we give all three over to God, asking him to tend to him, tend to them, and help us. Serve and obey him. Um, in understanding why what's happened to us has happened to us in some measure. 
in receiving the Holy Spirit's power to be a faithful and obedient Christian today and planning for the future that we might be prepared as best we can for new life, for disorienting seasons that will come. Because we trust that indeed in waiting patiently for the Lord, he inclines to us and hears us. This is Bono singing Psalm 40 with tens of thousands of people. I'm 46. I'm a big U2 fan. You knew I was going to reference this. <laughs> we sing how long as an as a act of obedience and hope, fully expecting God to show up, give rest to our hearts, enliven our obedience because he is that good. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us this autumn, this season, to learn to praise you even when we are unsettled, to learn to talk with one another about you in our lives, to learn to be fully expectant that you can give new life even in a long, dark season. Lord, we trust you and ask that you help us to trust you quickly and easily that we might receive all the joy you purchased for us in the work of Jesus. Amen.